from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen from New Yeah, everything changes, sure. From New Orleans, Louisiana, this week. News of our freedom-loving friends in Saudi They don't love freedom any less because I'm in New Orleans. Let me put it that way. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. A Saudi activist has been sentenced to uh, prison and barred from travel abroad. A, he is a professor of Islamic studies from a conservative province. He's been under arrest since April 2013, among the most vocal critics of religious extremism and militancy. He was against religious extremism and militancy in our friend Saudi Arabia. So he gets 10 years in jail. And he can't travel abroad for another decade after that. Stick around, babe. He had posted online videos giving religious lectures in support of women's rights. A rights lawyer who spoke anonymously because the lawyer feared reprisal said the professor, Professor... Abdel Karim al Qadar had been sentenced by Saudi Arabia's specialized criminal, criminal court. We don't want the generalized court working on this stuff. Oh, no. The charges included disobeying the ruler, founding a human rights organization, and supporting protests. He's the third rights activist to be sentenced to prison in Saudi Arabia in the past week. It's a busy week. But there is good news about Saudi Arabia. It could run out of money in five years, according to Al Jazeera English. It's uh, the problem, of course, slumping oil prices. The Middle East's biggest economy is expected to run budget deficits of 21.6% this year, 19.4% next year, according to the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. That means that Saudi Arabia needs to find money to meet its spending plans, and it's planning to make substantial cuts to its budgets. No more of those giveaways. Maybe no more of those prisons. They're expensive to run, you know, at least in California. Maybe not in Saudi Arabia. For the region's oil exporters, the fall in prices has led to large export revenue losses, accounting to a staggering $360 billion this year, says the Middle East director of the International Monetary Fund. There's been a trickle of evidence over the last few months that all is not well inside Saudi Arabia. The monetary agency has withdrawn $70 billion in funds managed by overseas financial institutions. Its foreign reserves have fallen by almost $73 billion since oil prices slumped. But there's a plenty of room for the country to borrow money to fund its growth. You might want to buy some Saudi bonds just to help out. Always trying to help out. Hello, welcome to the show. Soon. 
Maybe it's autumn rain right now from New Orleans, Louisiana, where we're enjoying autumn rain, if that's the correct verb. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got the ultra modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty, what the frack? Indeed, what the frack. Prenatal exposure to a mixture of chemicals used in the oil and natural gas drilling technique known as fracking at levels found in the environment lowered sperm counts in male mice when they reached adulthood. That'll teach them to reach adulthood. This is a new study published in the Endocrine Society's journal Endocrinology. Great, great choice of title. The scientists tested 24 chemicals used in fracking, determined 23 of them were endocrine-disrupting chemicals which mimic, block, or otherwise interfere with hormones, the body's chemical messengers that act through receptors to regulate the activity of cells and biological processes, such as metabolism, reproduction, growth, and digestion. That's all. Specifically, these 24 chemicals alone and in combination were tested for their ability to activate or inhibit action of estrogen, androgen, progesterone, glucocortinoid, and thyroid receptors using a human cell-based assay. The scientists identified more than 90% of the chemicals disrupting the functions of estrogens and androgens, male sex hormones such as testosterone, those are androgens. In addition, more than 40% could interfere with progestogens, another type of reproductive hormone, and glucocorticoids, which are involved in metabolism and stress. 30% of the chemicals disrupted thyroid hormone signaling. Endocrine-disrupting stuff has been linked to health problems, including birth defects, reproductive disorders, cancer, diabetes, obesity, and neurodevelopmental issues, according to the Endocrine Society. That just sounds like side effects from anything you see advertised on television. The study is the first to demonstrate that EDCs, commonly used in fracking at levels realistic for human and animal exposure, can have an adverse effect on the reproductive effect of mice, said the study's senior author. As you know, oil and gas companies are not required to disclose all of the chemicals in the mixtures they use for fracking. The scientists tested wastewater samples from drilling sites 
in Colorado and identified 16 of the fracking chemicals they had previously tested in these samples. They used this information along with existing literature on fracking to create a mixture of 23 chemicals that span the likely range of human exposure in wastewater. Mice were exposed mice that were exposed to the chemical mixtures prenatally had decreased sperm counts almost as if they had the uh, the larger deeper voices of howler monkeys increased testis weights and increased testosterone levels compared to the control group so they could be in um, they could be mixed martial arts mice i guess it's clear edcs used in fracking can act alone or in combination with other chemicals to interfere with the body's hormone function, said the author. These mixture interactions are complex and challenging to predict. Unquote. So let's let them go. Let's let them frack. What do you say? They're only mice. What the frack? Speaking of fuels, Volkswagen has warned that the 11 million car figure that's been bruited about uh, as the ones that were had the emissions test cheating software um, that figure may grow larger. This according to the Register website in Britain. The automaker is under fire, of course, for using diesel engines that deliberately lowered their output of nitrogen oxides during testing in the lab to uh, conform to strict emissions standards, unlike their performance in the real world. The German car manufacturer in a statement this week confirmed that two versions of its diesel engines were free of the so-called defeat devices, but it's now looking at earlier builds of the engine to see if they builds of the engine to see if they also use the standards evading software, potentially adding to the 11 million figure. Like 11 million isn't enough. I think it is a big problem," said Ferdinand Dudenhofer, head of the Center for Automotive Research at the University of Duisburg Essen. He said, million more, "Millions more cars could be defective. It suggests the company doesn't know the product, which is a tragedy." Unquote. Or a comedy, sir. You know, could be a dark comedy. The uh, engines in question are used in the Golf, Beetle, Beetle Convertible, Passat, and Jetta in Europe. Uh, a representative of the American Volkswagen said that none of the firm's cars in the U.S. were covered by the statement. Volkswagen has warned that recalling and fixing all the cars carrying the defeat devices could reach a cost of $7 billion. That's just the cost of correcting the vehicle's engine and control software. There are also legal costs to be considered. Oh, that couldn't happen. Oh, yes, it could. The National Law Journal has been keeping an eye on the situation, now estimates that over 300 separate lawsuits are pending against Volkswagen just here in the United States over the incident. Of course, this is where the lawsuits come from. There are fewer than half a million Volkswagens in the U.S. affected by the defeat devices, but VW also has legal problems in other parts of the world. There are also government penalties to consider. Really? Governments issue penalties against corporations? Well, American car companies, unlike other than Volkswagen, are lobbying for the federal government to issue a very large fine against Volkswagen. They're doing that, you know, in the public interest. The European Union and Australian governments have also warned of penalties to come. I'm not, you know, I don't do stock tips on the radio, but Volkswagen stock right now, I'd, you know, I'd use it for a TP. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to read the trades for you. 
some uh, backtracking going on in the advertising world, as reported by Advertising Age. Really? Yes? Prove it to me. Okay, I'll read it. I'll read the trade for you. All right, then. He's talking to himself. Advertisers looking to reach New Yorkers on the go will have to start looking outside of taxis. Since 2006, brands have been reaching consumers as they bustle around the city through TVs in the back of cabs. It's such a convenience. Uh, Oh, that's just me interpolating. But those screens are on the way out. After the taxi and limousine commission approved a pilot program that will eventually eliminate the TVs. I've got a pilot program to eliminate It's called a chainsaw. This may come as a relief for some taxi drivers and riders, whom the taxi and limousine commission says find the screens annoying. Really? Do you find this annoying? (laughs) But for advertisers, it's likely disappointing news. Verifone, which handles ad sales for the cab, said in a statement, it welcomes the change. Verifone has been a leader, says the vice president of strategy and innovation, in developing new technologies such as digital media, alternate currencies, and e-hailing. We look forward to helping to find the next generation of the in-cab experience, unquote. How about the out-of-cab experience, sir? Like, where is one? The vote means the Taxi and Limousine Commission will begin testing a new GPS-based meter system that could use smartphones or tablets to calculate fares and process payments, just eliminating the need for the TV screens. As if there were one. The TLC has said the drivers and riders have complained the screens are noisy, content repetitive, and often the mute and off buttons don't work. That's just a happy accident. Some advertisers have found the screens useful, allowing them to target by locations and events and reach a highly affluent consumer. You know, one who can tip. And in the wake of recent... Oh, you know that there's a, a huge hue and cry or a huge and cry in the advertising business business about the popularity of ad blockers on uh, your... Um, internet browsers, and now, thanks to Apple, on your uh, mobile browsers as well. And so, uh, you know, advertisers who don't like being blocked and publishers who don't like having their ads blocked have started resorting to blocking readers or would-be readers who are using ad blockers. So the blockers are blocking the block. Well, in the wake of all this, the Interactive Advertising Bureau has released a statement telling content providers and others, quote, we messed up, unquote. The Interactive Advertising Bureau has laid out an overhaul for standard advertising principles called LEAN (laughs) that are sure to change the advertising landscape. We lost track of the user experience, said the statement written by Scott Cunningham, Senior VP of Technology and Ad Operations at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. He must know. The threat of ad-blocking software has created a feverish pitch among industry leaders, forcing them to reevaluate the status quo. Much of that was due to, as Cunningham writes, maximizing profits and disregarding user experience. Quote, if we're so good at reach and scale, we can be just as good, if not better, at moderation. Unquote. 
Annoying pop-ups and distracting images were all the result of, quote, automation and maximization of margins during the industrial age of media technology. He says, we build advertising technology to optimize publishers' yield of marketing budgets that had eroded after the last recession. Looking back now, our scraping of dimes may have cost us dollars in consumer loyalty. Unquote. L-E-A-N, which stands for Light, Encrypted, Ad, Choice, Supported, and Non-Invasive. Yeah, they left out a couple of letters there in the acronym. Who's counting? Will be the principles that will help guide the next phase of advertising technical standards for the global digital advertising supply chain. The guidelines will look to limit file size so as not to slow down your downloads, assure user security, support the consumer privacy program and supplement user experience which includes covering content and sound enabled by default like when you go to a web like you've got a lot of tabs open and all of a sudden something starts playing and you don't know why and you don't know how to turn it off but the guidelines will not replace the current advertising standards They will guide an alternative set of standards that provide choice for marketers, content providers, and consumers, said Cunningham. The consumer is challenging us to do better, and we must respond. Unquote. Blockers blocking blockers. It's like spy versus spy. A world uncovered all of us because I read the trades for you. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Man is building a brighter future for his children and his children's children in the new world of the atomic age. Addy the Adam, how are your children's children doing? I, I got none. I got nothing. Okay. Just as many as had feared, the disaster at Fook has sparked a sharp increase in thyroid cancer among children and adolescents in the area, according to a study published in the online journal Epidemiology. More cancers... Cancer cases may be lurking. One particularly hard-hit district in the Fuku Prefecture saw thyroid cancer rates that were 50 times higher than the national average in Japan among those 18 and younger, reported researchers who participated in an ultrasound screening program in the three years after the earthquake. I don't trust ultrasound. It's too high. It's It's a good point. Cancer rates throughout the prefecture are 30 times higher than in Japan as a whole. Japan has unnaturally low thyroid cancer rates. I think you'll find if you... If I what? No, I have nothing. The result was unlikely to be fully explained by the screening effect, wrote the research team. In Chernobyl, excesses of thyroid cancer became more more remarkable or noticeable four or five years after the accident. So the observed excess alerts us to prepare for more potential cases within a few years, say the researchers. What do they know? Sitting in a lab all day. Mm. Japan this week acknowledged the first possible casualty from radiation at the fect, uh, at the wrecked Fuke plant. What did you say? I, you know what I said. A worker who was diagnosed with cancer after the crisis broke out in 2011. 
The health ministry's recognition of radiation as a possible cause may set back efforts to recover from the disaster, as the government and nuclear industry have been at pains to say that the health effects from radiation have been minimal. It does hurt to say that. It does take pains. It hurts me to hear it. And I'm an atom. I don't feel pain. It may also add to compensation payments that had reached more than $76 billion by July of this year. It's nothing. You came back quick. Mm -hmm. I spun. More than 160,000 people were forced from their homes after the meltdown. As you know, hundreds of deaths have been attributed to the chaos of evacuation. But um, the government said radiation was not a cause of any of it. But this male worker in his 30s who was employed by a construction contractor worked at Fouke and other nuclear facilities. Total Of total radiation exposure of 19.8 millisieverts. The worker received a dose of 15.7 between October 2012 and December 13, 2013 working at Fouke. That was lower than the annual limit for nuclear industry workers. The government decided it cannot be ruled out the, that the worker's leukemia was a result of radiation, said the official. That's nice of them. The government? Yeah. Every once in a while they surprise you. 42 years and counting. That's how long it's taken to get America's latest nuclear reactor up and running. The uh, Unit 2 at Watts Bar, a complex near Knoxville. Hey, Knoxville! Moved a step closer to conclusion this week when the Nuclear Regulatory Commission granted the plant a 40-year operating license. It had been uh, mothballed by the Tennessee Valley Authority, its owner, since the 80s when they decided mm, the economics weren't good. Economics are never good. Yeah. Uh, the go-ahead from the NRC clears the last remaining hurdle. Although scientists at the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists say that uh, this particular model of reactor is outmoded. Obsolete, I think, is the word they use. Everybody's a critic. A Department of Energy oversight team found an overall, but uh, speaking of which, negative trend in the operation of the Southeast New Mexico Nuclear Waste Repository, the WIP, following two serious accidents... I like the comical accidents better. Me too. But plant managers say progress has been made since the review concluded. The Department of Energy's Office of Enterprise Assessments analyzed operations at the WIP over a year through May, a period in which it has been trying to recover from an underground fire and subsequent unrelated radiation release. During this period, strong and unrealistic schedule pressures on the workforce contributed to poor safety performance, and incidents during that time are indicators of the potential for a future serious Safety incident, said the memo. In addition to the schedule pressure, the memo flagged a backlog of hundreds of preventive maintenance items and the use of extensive overtime that could force workers to work past the point of safety. Yeah, but they make money. Think about the boats they can buy. The controversial Hinkley Point nuclear power plant project in Great Britain, uh, you may have seen in the news. Do they still have news in America? That uh, British government had a handshake with the Chinese premier who was in London this week over Chinese investment in this Hinkley Point nuclear plant. Says one member of the conservative party, the ruling conservative party, a conservative lord who was formerly energy minister, the project will place, quote, eye-watering price penalties, unquote, on households for years to come. You want your eyes water, don't you? You know, dry eyes can 
Nice try. The conservative peer, who is father-in-law to the chancellor of the exchequer, George Osborne, who signed or did the handshake deal with the Chinese, told the Lords he expected the initiative to be the last of its kind. It should be no surprise, he says, that it needs a French state company, a Chinese state-owned company, and the British government, plus eye-watering price penalties on all industries and households for years to come to keep a project of this size and design going forward. And, of course, endless government guarantees for risk-free returns to the investors. I suspect it will be the last of its kind in this time, said Lord Howell. I don't bow down to no lord. And a fire is smoldering underneath a landfill in a densely populated suburb of St. Louis. It's been going there for five years. Underground landfill fires or smoldering events, as some officials call them, aren't rare. What makes the fire at the landfill in Bridgetown, Missouri, unusual is that it's less than a quarter of a mile from a large deposit of nuclear waste with nothing in its way. Dirt. Dirt's in its way. Dirt can be a powerful deterrent. The radioactive legacy of St. Louis's role in the World War II atomic weapons program has unleashed Cold War-style nuclear paranoia in the area, the L.A. Times reports, as some residents debate what kind of gas masks to buy or whether to move away. Corporate, federal, and state officials don't agree on what kind of threat West Lake Landfill poses to residents or if it poses one at all. Various scientists and officials have presented clashing stories to the public about whether the underground fire is moving and what might happen if it reaches the nuclear waste. There might be a dangerous radioactive plume that forces residents to take shelter indoors or evacuate, according to St. Louis emergency officials. EPA officials say there might be a bit of radon gas which may not even escape the landfill's perimeter. The Missouri Attorney General's office, which is suing the landfill's owner, says the fire is creeping closer to the radioactive materials. The EPA says the fire is staying put. You pays your money and you takes your choice. Residents have been baffled to learn that radioactive waste exists at the dump and even more puzzled that regulators have yet to finalize a plan to contain or remove the nuclear material four decades after a company illegally dumped it. We knew so little back then. We know so little now. News is clean, cheap, safe. Too unknown to meet her, our friend the Atom.
Ladies and gentlemen, this is the show from New Orleans. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I don't I don't do this. I rarely do it, but so I didn't see anybody else doing it or saying it. So I'm gonna do it. The House Select Committee investigating the Benghazi incident in which four Americans were killed in an attack on our diplomatic compound and associated CIA outpost in Benghazi, Libya. That committee turned it up to 11 this week. They held an 11-hour hearing in which the only witness was Hillary Clinton. This had been um, anticipated, feared, looked forward to. Uh, Everybody had uh, differing expectations for it. And as it turned out, uh, basically, not a lot of scratches on Hillary Clinton. Um, there were certainly some points made by the Republicans uh, in in their sharp questioning of her, including the fact that um, a, a, the chairman, Trey Gowdy, <laughs> yes, Trey Gowdy, um, used one of the entirety of one of his questioning periods to examine the frequency with which Hillary Clinton received emails from longtime Clinton family friend and uh, sometime political operative Sidney Blumenthal on uh, subjects relating to Libya, even though he putatively has no expertise on the subject. Uh, It later turned out that he uh, told the committee in a uh, closed-door session that he didn't write these, these emails. He was passing on information from others uh, notably, according to some sources, Tyler Drumheiler, a former CIA official who left and wrote a tell-all or tell-some book uh, after his experience in the agency, uh, and uh, certain other members of the committee pointed out that uh, Sidney Blumenthal had Hillary Clinton's home phone number, her fax number, her e- uh, private email, uh, unlike the U.S. ambassador to Benghazi, Christopher Stevens, who uh, didn't have, uh, whom Clinton described as a friend, but he didn't quite have uh, that degree of uh, access to her. That was that was really about it um, in terms of what blood was drawn. The, uh, as I say, the, the, the overwhelming response, a reaction from those who were able to plod through the whole thing, I had time to kill, was that uh, she refused to be baited. Uh, she would not go on the offensive very much. Of course, she had the the, uh, the Democratic members of the committee uh, were vociferous in attacking the Republicans. It was very, very unusual for a congressional committee to just erupt into such absolutely obvious partisan divisiveness. But there you go. That's the world we live in now. Anyway, um, she is back on the campaign trail. And uh, making appearances with her now, starting to make appearances with her now, is the big dog, her husband. Oh boy, it all sounds like another episode of Clinton Something next here on the show. something the candidacy years
Hello. Hey, figured you're sleeping late after that uh, marathon. <laughs> Hi, Bill. No, I was uh, just napping. Jennifer and Huma are finishing up a fundraising letter. Fundraising off the hearing? Yes. You, of all people, should understand. Oh, I understand. I just don't understand why that letter wasn't written days ago. We knew what was going to happen. The thing about these guys is they don't care how they look or sound to anybody except their their own crowd. They got bass on the brain. <laughs> True enough. God, I don't even want to talk today. Even I'm tired of my voice. Well, Touch, I just wanted to say great job. Mm. I guess those... Uh, <laughs> Little friends of mine made a difference, huh? The beta blockers? Mm-hmm. Actually, I didn't take them. Oh. Huma thought they might make me look drowsy on camera. <laughs> well, then, even greater job. Mm. Just staying so calm looking, never taking the bait. Thanks. I have to confess I did have a little help. Ambien? <laughs> no. That laugh wasn't too much, was it? Because What I... was the little help? <laughs> Jennifer said before each session... Mm-hmm. Just remember the fundraising letter. You can't go on offense. That's what the Democrats on the committee are for. Smart cookie. So, as they were asking those same questions for the zillionth time, Mm -hmm. I just kept reciting the fundraising letter in my head. You know, I did think the question calling back your 2008 3 a.m. phone call commercial was pretty cagey little move. Did you? Exactly whose side are you on? (laughs) Yours, babe. Always yours. Mm-hmm. Just appreciating a rare slice of professionalism from the flamethrowers. Well, I do have to say, uh, I'll bet Bernie Sanders is wishing right now that he'd been Secretary of State during Benghazi. <laughs> the only way that old Trotskyite is going to get that much sympathy out of that much tube time is if he falls down doing the tango on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Still too much laughter? No, just right. Oh, good. All right, hon. I just wanted to touch base. Mm. Got to go make nice with the president of Kazakhstan. He's, he's been bitching that Tony Blair's foundation gives him more face time with Blair than mine does with me. Well, see if you'd like to meet Chelsea. Oh, I did. As autocrats go, he's kind of old school. Mm. Bye, Toots. Let her just blast it out. Oh, great, but I didn't sign it. Oh, yes, you did while you were on the phone. Mm. Speaking of which... I sort of made a command decision. What? You made my H bigger? No, Sidney Blumenthal's calling. I said you weren't available. Thanks, but I better take it. Okay, I'll, uh, be somewhere else. Okay. Hi. Turns out I am available. I know they don't give standing ovations at congressional hearings, (laughs) but you earned one. Look, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you're probably slammed today, but I didn't want to say this in an email. (laughs) No, that is too much. Mm. Uh, Look, I'm sorry that my attempts to keep you connected with sources other than your own people boomeranged in any way. I I hope that the repeated references to my emails during that hearing didn't get you off track or off message or off anything. Uh, You sure didn't appear off anything, but... Sydney, I know what you were doing, and I appreciated it then. I even appreciated it yesterday. You did? Oh, absolutely. Every question they asked me about your emails was a question they didn't ask me about the foundation. <laughs> That's a good point. And look, I know that if anyone in Washington values his or her privacy, it's it's you. 
So I'm sorry you got your name mentioned half a zillion times on national TV. It must have been mortifying for you. Well, not mortifying exactly, but... No, I'm sure your phone has been just ringing you off the hook this morning with all the usual gang of journalists and pundits <laughs> waiting to get your take on all of this, which just must be absolutely appalling for you. Well, not appalling, appalling, but... And look, uh, when I told the committee your emails were unsolicited, I wasn't in any way saying that they were unwelcome Mm. or that I didn't want them to continue Mm -hmm. in their welcome but unsolicited way. Oh, look, I know that, and I wouldn't be inclined to take any of that personally anyway, first and foremost because of our long-standing personal friendship. Well, of course. And second, and even more important, because as I told the committee behind closed doors, I didn't write those emails anyway. So they weren't solicited by me. Right. And they weren't written by you. Right. Makes you wonder if they ever really happened. (laughs) Just enough. Youthful angst and middle-aged yearning for greatness. Together they add up to Clinton something. The Candidacy Years. And now the apologies of the week. For your listening pleasure. Or otherwise. We're so sorry. You know, pleasure is overrated. Brown University students apologized to Malia Obama for posting photos of the president's daughter allegedly playing beer pong during a recent visit to the school's campus. An editorial titled Sorry, Malia Obama was published this past Tuesday in the Brown Daily Herald. That's what Brown can do for you. And included a detailed apology to the first daughter on behalf of the school's students. The college application and selection process is stressful for most students who go through it, but one can only imagine how much the stress multiplies when the whole nation is watching, said the editorial. She uh, recently visited the campus as a prospective option for her continued education. While there, she stopped by a college party where someone took a Snapchat photo later blasted by the conservative website, The Daily Caller, that showed her standing by a beer pong table topped by red solo cups. BuzzFeed reported that one anonymous tweeter claimed Malia Obama was taking shots and playing beer pong at a party last night, LOL. The Brown editorial noted that students didn't realize their social media posts would go viral. Really? You think (laughs) Brown University students are that dumb? The editorial board concluded it was a shame that the high school senior had no privacy during a visit. Dateline San Francisco, after a series of ads posted throughout the city this week, sparked the ire of both residents and the Internet. Airbnb has issued a company-wide apology to its employees for what many have described as an over-the-top passive-aggressive ad campaign. In an email, marketing chief Jonathan Mildenhall said the ads were fundamentally inconsistent with the company's ethos. Yes, it has an ethos. And told employees it would be working with the public organizations it wronged to make this right. After aggressively engaging in a long legal battle to avoid paying the city's 14% hotel tax, Airbnb was finally forced to shell out $12 million in back taxes earlier this year. The ads which debuted this week, featured messages messages directed towards various city agencies, including libraries and the Board of Education, that offered suggestions for how each should spend 
the tax money that Airbnb finally forked over. Messages immediately backfired. And so the company apologized. Get its ethos straight. The Milwaukee Bucks player John Henson met with Schwanky Caston Jewelers President Tom Dixon this week at the team's training center and received an apology for the treatment the player received while trying to shop Monday afternoon at the jewelry store. He was locked out of the store and questioned by police in the community of Whitefish Bay, not Corning Island, Whitefish Bay, I hope, before being allowed to exit or to enter. And he wrote an Instagram post saying he was a victim of racial profiling. Hanson Henson said of his meeting with the head of the jewelry store, he was sincere in his apology. He knew that shouldn't have happened. He's had some prior incidents, but it still doesn't make it right for them to do what they did. It's a real issue, but right now I want to focus on the game tonight. Donald Trump has apologized for a tweet in which he blamed Ben Carson leading in the Iowa, in the latest Iowa poll as, quote, too much Monsanto in the corn creates issues in the brain. That was his tweet. Uh, he got some blowback and then tweeted, quote, the young intern who accidentally did that retweet apologizes. Does Donald Trump not write his own tweets? Is his Twitter account run by interns? A person identifying himself as a Fordham University student who works on the New York campaign headquarters told International Business Times that interns do not have access to Trump's account. We do not manage or in that case have any access to Mr. Trump's personal Twitter, said Garrison Grushke, says, as a 2016 intern. From my understanding and what I've been informed of by my superiors is that Mr. Trump's tweets and Twitter responses are done by him personally. All email accounts, however, associated and endorsed by the Trump campaign are managed by interns and other associates within the organization. So he must have confused his tweets with his emails, don't you think? Japanese professional baseball is in hot water as the country's top baseball team, the Yomiuri Giants, gets muddled up in a betting scandal. Tokyo Olympic officials warned that the incident threatens the team's integrity and its bid for the 2020 Olympics. Uh-oh, Japan's top team has offered its formal apology after pitchers Shoki Kasahara and Ryuya Matsumoto admitted to gambling on baseball games. The scandal broke just days before the Nippon Series. It's not the World Series. It's the Nippon Series. But they've apologized. Deadline Richmond, Virginia student has apologized for playing a song riddled with racial slurs over the public address system ahead of a Virginia high school football game. Najee Lawrence said he mistakenly downloaded a song that contained the offensive lyrics. The song was played over the PA system at Glen Allen High School's football stadium before the suburban school played a Richmond team, Marshall High, which is a predominantly black school. Lawrence is a senior and a member of the football team. He apologized during a school board meeting, saying he was deeply sorry for playing the offensive song. The principal shifted blame for the incident to administrators who were responsible for viewing the songs. Wow. Somebody kicked it upstairs. Officials at Applebee's have apologized to an employee's family who claimed their son was never paid for his time on the job. They say he will be compensated for his work. Caleb Dial, 21 years old, started in the prep kitchen of a Rhode Island Applebee's last summer through a special program that aims to find work for the disabled. According to his father, Dial, who has autism, worked 12 hours a week helping prepare meals. 
Dial's parents said they filled out the required employment paperwork to ensure that he would be paid. They claim he was never compensated by the restaurant. Spokesman for Applebee said the company apologized to the family, sent Caleb a check for the initial seven weeks. In this case, a series of unintended errors resulted in Caleb not being paid. This is unacceptable, and once notified, our restaurant owner quickly cash, uh, ensured a check was sent to Caleb's home. And the food's great, too. Come on. Rihanna's former publicist, Jonathan Hay, is apologizing for starting the rumor that Jay-Z cheated on his wife, Beyonce, with Rihanna. According to the New York Daily News, Hay has since apologized to Beyonce, now explaining that he started the rumor in 2005 out of desperation to get public attention for Rihanna's then-current single. That's a good excuse. Dateline Cincinnati, the NFL Network, has apologized to Cincinnati Bengals players who were shown naked in the locker room during a post-game interview Sunday in Buffalo. Yes, I'm thinking of William Burroughs' classic novel, The Naked Bunch. Alex Reithmiller said a regrettable mistake by a production team was behind the video. An NFL Network reporter was interviewing cornerback Adam Batman Jones after a win in Buffalo. And the videographer's angle included several players coming out of the shower in the background. Dayline Nanuet, Massachusetts, a home health care company, has apologized. Oh, this would be Nanuet, New York. There's more than one Nanuet. A home health care company has apologized for placing a classified ad in a Rockland County penny saver that said no Haitians should apply for a nursing job. In a letter posted online, Interim Healthcare Incorporated apologized to the community at large and particularly to the entire Haitian community. Laid back nurse, no Haitians, was the ad copy. The uh, letter from the from Interim said the ad was totally unacceptable and is offensive to us and we know to all of you. Except for you Haitians, we know you're not... Twitter has had a rocky relationship with developers of apps for years. On Wednesday this week, new CEO Jack Dorsey apologized for the clash. Somewhere along the line, our relationship with developers got a little complicated. Our relationship got confusing, unpredictable. We want to come to you today and say, we're sorry for the confusion. He'd like to reset the relationship. Early in Twitter's history, third-party developers built features that are now fundamental and popular, such as the ability to post photos and shorten links. But the proliferation of third-party apps for Twitter muddled the core experience. Let me see. Hey, how's your core experience with... I'm concerned about your core experience with this program. I really am. If If your core experience is not consistent with our ethos, you know what to do. And hundreds of thousands, this is how a rap mogul gives back to the community, ladies and gentlemen. Hundreds of thousands of low-income Americans were forced to pinch pennies for more than a week after Rush Card, a popular prepaid debit card, faced widespread technical glitches. Rush Card's users were locked out from uh, accessing their money, including the most recent paychecks. After 10 days of problems this week, the company wrote on social media that most users should now be able to access Rush Card. Its technical problems have predominantly hit Americans who live paycheck to paycheck. Their grievances were displayed on social media. New York Times recounted the plight of some of their users whose inability to withdraw their own, their own money became a matter of life or death, like one woman who could not afford vital heart medication for her husband. Rush Card is owned by Russell Simmons, the hip-hop mogul. He's co-founder, sorry, of Rush Card. He's repeatedly apologized on Facebook and Twitter and asked his Twitter followers to directly message him with their contacts if they were locked out. 
Yo! Contact him. Bum rush him. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, speaking of Rhode Island, as we did earlier in the Apologies, congratulations to former Senator Lincoln Chafee for pulling out of the Democratic presidential primary campaign this week, along with Jim Webb. But uh, former Rhode Island Senator Lincoln Chafee, we hardly knew ye. Copper comes from Arizona. Peaches come from Georgia. And lobsters come from Maine. The wheat fields are the sweet fields of Nebraska. And Kansas gets bonanzas from the grain. Old whiskey comes from old Kentucky. Ain't the country lucky? New Jersey gives us glue. And you, you come from Rhode Island. Little old Rhode Island is famous for you. Pencils come from Pennsylvania. Vests from West Virginia. And tents from Tennessee. They know mink where they grow mink in Wyoming. A camp chair in New Hampshire, that's for me. And minnows come from Minnesota. Coats come from Dakota. But why should you be blue? For you, you come from Rhode Island. Don't let them ride Rhode Island. It's famous for you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm. Won't you? Well, at least think about it. Thank you. Soft, listen to the warm. <laughs> we can listen to the warm. Mm, sounds toasty, doesn't it? Warmer temperatures are threatening to shrink the habitat of the snow leopard. Just after a... Uh, a Macintosh operating system was named after him and weakened that creature's struggle against extinction. According to a new report, conservation charity World Wildlife Fund says more than a third of the animal's mountain living areas could become uninhabitable because of climate change. You know, the flats aren't, uh, aren't that bad, Snowy. It says plants and trees there are not able to survive in warmer temperatures. The report describes snow leopards as one of the most beautiful and enigmatic big cats. It's also one of the most elusive and endangered, says the report. The animal is threatened not just because of climate change, but because of a combination of other factors, including habitat fragmentation, thanks to humans, a decline in natural prey, resulting in snow leopards sometimes attacking livestock, which makes humans want to kill them, illegal wildlife trades, snow leopards are being increasingly poached for their body parts by humans. So... It's the snow leopard versus the human. Climate change will exacerbate most of these threats, the report says, further increasing the pressure on snow leopards and reducing them to unsustainable numbers in many areas. The Himalayan region will face a major crisis if we choose to ignore climate change, says the report. Not only do we risk losing majestic species such as the snow leopard, but hundreds of millions of people who rely on water flowing from these mountains may be affected, says the lead researcher on the snow leopard program. 
charity says India, Nepal, and Bhutan's success in increasing the number of endangered species like tigers and rhinos could be replicated for snow leopards. It's estimated there are about four to 6,000 snow leopards worldwide today. More people still use it on their laptops than that. That's something to think about. News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, The Planet, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, around the world via the Internet, at two different locations. You're live and you're archived, which will be whenever you want it, at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast from iTunes, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like saving the snow leopard if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam, Pam Halstead and Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program is... Is there still email? I mean, I know Hillary has it, but the rest of us? And a uh, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to buy... Or if you're a hacker to steal Cars I Talk t-shirts, it's all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter. Despite Jack Dorsey's efforts to kick me off. At the Harry Shearer. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station for the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.